we met a few people in the wholesale industry in Europe uh, sharing our ID. And actually, the, the thing that, has, that was really striking to me is the first few people that we met uh, to um, introduce the ID and get feedback, they actually proposed us to resign from that job and to join us. And we had no, nothing, and it was just like an ID that we were trying to get feedback on. So I thought like, okay, there is really something here. There are some big pains that needs to be solved. And that's, uh, that's what uh, has been really the driver for, for, for this new entrepreneurial journey. Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor, the podcast brought to you by JBM, a search firm that places executives and future leaders into high growth startups and scale-ups. This week, we've got an extra special guest for you. Nicolas de Dufray is not just the co-founder of the Double Unicorn Marketplace Anchor Store, but he's also a JBM client, which means I've had the great pleasure of having a front row seat to the incredible scale-up journey that he and Anchor Store have been on. And today, I'm delighted that you get to hear firsthand about one of Europe's biggest success stories in the last few years. If you haven't heard of Anchor Store before, they're a wholesale marketplace that connects independent shop owners and specialist brands with neighborhood retailers. They achieved an incredible $2 billion valuation in just three years and are backed by some of the best VCs in the world, including Index Ventures, Bond, Bain Capital, and Tiger Global. Their incredible growth story is made all the more impressive given the backdrop of COVID and the challenges the retail industry has faced as a result. At a time when many retailers had to shut their doors and Nico was being advised to do the same, Nico and his co-founders instead saw this as an opportunity to invest and quickly became labeled as the anti-Amazon helping to empower smaller retailers, something Nicola tells us more about in today's episode. He also shares his scaling lessons from selling his first startup to Etsy, what he's doing differently this time around, and the importance of building authentic communities. So whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur, you work in retail, or just love hearing about scaling stories, I'm sure you'll learn so much from Nico and Angstor's unique journey. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 40 minutes of mentorship with the brilliant Nicolas de Dufay. Nicolas, thank you so much for joining us on the 40 Minute Mentor. How are you today? Very good. Thank you, James. Very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Brilliant. No, it's a real pleasure. I'm really excited to talk about your amazing career story and some uh, fantastic entrepreneurial experiences you've had. Um, but before we start, please, can you finish these sentences? We always like to start with some uh, quick fire questions. So first and foremost, when I was younger, I always wanted to be... An entrepreneur, actually. My father was an entrepreneur, so I think I was inspired by this. Ah, good stuff. Good stuff. So it's definitely in the genes. Yeah, I think so, on my side. My first job was? I was handling stuff in a warehouse in the summer to make some, some money. So A classic first job, that. Yeah, good early grounding. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Yeah, exactly. My biggest achievement in my career to date is? My biggest achievement, I, I hope my biggest achievement in the, in the future. Actually, I, when I look at the past, I don't like to think about my achievements. I prefer to think about my mistakes and what I did poorly. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure I answer exactly the question, but I hope my biggest achievement in, in the future, and that's why I'm working hard, hard on it. Always looking forward. Yeah, well, that's a great answer. I wish I could be better at... I wish um, I wish I could be better at. Um, I, I think I'm still doing too much 
by myself rather than helping others do. So it's maybe from my, my consulting days that I have kept this bad habit, but I'm, I'm trying to work on it. I'd like to be better at this. Okay. Yeah. Dele- delegation. So yeah, it's a, it's a common founder trait, isn't it? When you're, you're so used to doing a lot by yourself, it's quite, it can be quite hard to, to, to sort of give stuff away. I, I get yes. that. And I think it's a very, very bad habit <laughs> so really working on it. Yeah. And as a, a fellow founder, I, I definitely share that trait. My biggest vice is my kids would say my phone. <laughs> uh, I spend too much time on my phone. So yeah, I, I will stay with my phone. I try to, I will try to take care of it and spend less time on it. Uh, I think my daughter would say the same. And I'm sure there's lots of people listening to this, nodding along, going, yeah, that's me too. Um, I hear now in certain restaurants, they lock your phone in a box to make sure you talk over the table and just on on, uh, on your phone, which is a, probably a good thing. You know what? That's you know what? That's what I am doing now when I'm going back home because my, my, my kids were complaining too much about it. So I, 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 I thought I needed to take radical actions. <laughs> good stuff. And finally, can you share something from your experience that we wouldn't know from your CV? So that could be a failure or a setback that you've learned a lot from. As you might know, it's my second company, Anchor Store. And so we, we, we did a, a first company called A Little Market in, in the past where we, we actually got acquired after four years by Etsy. And so I think it was seen by a success by, by some people from, from the outside. And, and indeed it was in many aspects and many, from many aspects. But I, I felt like I was not a good, uh, a good entrepreneur. I made many mistakes uh, creating and leading this first company. So yeah, I, for example, yeah, this is a good, uh, a good case where uh, I think I could uh, have done much better in the past. And I learned a lot from, from this first founder experience. Interesting. Well, I think we'll, we'll come on to talk about that. So, Nicola, thank you for the uh, little insight into your personality from those uh, snapshot questions. Um, I'm excited for the rest of the conversation. But let's start at your, your earlier career. Could you give our listeners a little one minute snapshot of you know, your, your life before Anchor Store? What did you get up to? So I, I started my career as a consultant. I worked for a company called Bain. I worked there for eight years in Paris and San Francisco. And then I, I, as I told you, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I created with uh, Nicola Cohen, my, my co-founder also at Angor Store, first company called A Little Market, which was uh, on main marketplace. So that's, uh, that, that was my first entrepreneurial uh, journey. We spent uh, four years uh, leading and, and, and developing A Little Market and then got acquired by Etsy. And then we worked for three years uh, for Etsy in Europe uh, before leaving Etsy and, and now starting Angor Store a little more than two years ago. Fantastic. Well, what a, what a journey. And you touched upon your um, consulting experience at Bain, which is obviously a very prestigious company. Um, we talked to lots of candidates who are looking to transition out of consulting into tech like you did a few years ago. So what advice would you have for anybody that's looking to make that move currently? And what do you, would you say are the, the main skills from your consulting days that you still rely on today as a founder? Great questions. So the first thing I would advise to someone considering Living consulting is to is to just do it. I I feel like sometimes people are are, are too afraid of of taking some some risk. So I, I would just let them know that they should do it, and that they would learn a lot being on the ground. Um, I think that's yeah. I have learned a lot so much by being an entrepreneur, being on the ground, developing a project. So yeah, they should just do it. The only caveat, I, second advice that I would do is yeah, go for it, but also spend some time assessing if, for example, if you want to join a company. I'm also very often surprised about how little diligence the candidates are doing about the 
the company. They will likely spend, I don't know what is the average uh, tenure at a company, maybe it's uh, five, ten years, so it's quite a long time, and they will spend a lot of time with, with the people in the company. And very often I find that the candidates are not doing enough diligence before joining a company. They, do, they should do uh, like ref calls, they should really try to get a good understanding of the companies that are joining because they, it, it's actually a big investment that they will make in terms of time. So these, these are the two advice that I would give. And then I think your, your second question was um, uh, about what I learned at, at consulting, which is still useful to me today. I think the main thing is what you learn in consulting is to like, to think, <laughs> to, to structure a problem. To, you face an issue in a new industry, you don't know anything about it, you not very quickly understand what is happening and, and, you, and, and find solutions. So that's yeah, this way of thinking in a structured way is, is still very useful to me. Great, great. Thank you very much. And I completely agree on the, the due diligence piece for candidates. I think a lot of people we speak to are very enamored by the startup world because they see it on the, in the news, the unicorns, the, uh, you know, all, the, all the sexy stuff. But sometimes it's not right for everybody. And uh, I think you know, it's such a big investment moving to a company. You just really need to make sure it's the right thing for you and it's the right company for you. And uh, we do see some people just kind of maybe not invest enough time in that. So I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have never understood this, but uh, yeah, I, I have found it many times. And what we try to do on our side at Uncostor is to be very transparent and very clear about the role, about that, what the candidate will find, just to make sure that uh, there, there will be no mismatch. Yeah, I, th I think radical candor when it comes to job hunting is really important. So you know what you're letting yourself in for. You talked about your first experience of entrepreneurship with a little market, which obviously you sold to Etsy. And there are not many people that are able to exit a company like that. So what, what an achievement. Can you tell us just a little bit about what you know a little market did, uh, what, uh, just the business and, and kind of what led you in the first instance to, to start it? What was that, that kind of you know, inspiration? So, we, yeah, we, we started a, a little market with uh, Nicolas Cohen, my co-founder, and uh, Loïc Duvernay, uh, our CTO at that time. And as I told you, I was uh, really looking um, forward to create uh, my company. And so I took some time off at Bain to think about uh, a project that I could launch. And we were like spending a lot of time with Nico thinking about ideas. And we, wanted, we, we knew we wanted to do something that would, be, uh, would have a positive impact on society. And so, yeah, like... While we were discussing, looking for some ideas, at some point we got contacted by a, uh, an entrepreneur willing to sell us his, uh, his company. And he was doing unmade stuff and he was like needed someone to help him scale. And by discussing with him, we, we found out that uh, he, he spent a lot of time, for example, and a lot of money trying to create an online uh, presence uh, for his uh, activity and his business. And it was a complete uh, loss of, of money and time for him. And so we, by discussing with him, we saw that all these small entrepreneurs, they needed some tech to sell their products. And that's how we, we came up with the, uh, with the idea of Anchor Store, which was a, so a marketplace uh, um, gathering all these uh, unmade entrepreneurs uh, to help them sell to, to the consumers directly. And we were like, mostly present in, in, in France and Italy when we got acquired by Etsy. Fantastic. Fantastic. So now that you're on to your second startup, was there anything that you learned from that first experience that has really helped you sort of in the, in the second time around has probably expedited the journey from the learnings from your first experience? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good question. And as I said at the beginning, I think I, uh, we did many mistakes in our first company and we learned a lot from it. Maybe the two biggest ones I would say is uh, we did not hire 
senior people enough at the beginning at a little market and it, we, we took too much time to um, yeah to hire senior people with us to help us grow the company and so we did the opposite at uh, at Anchor Store and I think it paid off and thanks to you in particular and and so that's that's the first big mistake that we made and the second big mistake that uh, I think I made is uh, I was uh, coming from my consulting days uh, willing to optimize everything uh, when you are working for big companies in the consulting firm you you like improving by 1% uh, an area of the business is actually very impactful but when you are working for a, a startup and trying to launch something you need to be extremely focused on a few issues and so i think yeah, i was trying to to um, yeah, to be too uh, perfect everywhere and in the end you end up being quite spread and so what i have learned is to actually uh, uh, leave some money uh, on the table uh, to be able to focus on what is really important. So today I, I, I spend my day seeing things that we could do better, but I know I have to let them go because uh, I need to focus on what is really making a difference. Yeah, and that's an amazing lesson that you've learned. And I'm sure lots of people listening will be will kind of uh, take that on board if they're starting these journeys now, because it's a very easy trap to fall into, isn't it? As a former consultant, I think that's, yeah, yeah. as a former consultant, I think indeed that's a, an issue that uh, you can face. And so you have to pay attention to it. Very true. You kindly referenced uh, that JBM have, have really had the great pleasure of, of working with Angstor. And I guess we've had a bit of a front seat to see this incredible journey you've been on in the last year or so. But for anyone that hasn't heard of the business, can you tell our listeners a bit about what Angstor does? You've already referenced it a, a bit, but I, know, I guess most importantly, what is your big mission and vision for Angstor in the years ahead? Yes. So what Anchor Store is doing is our, our mission is really to uh, drive the evolution of independent retail. We are here, we are building a marketplace to connect brands and retailers. And, and yeah, I think as founders, um, we have always been driven by this idea of like building technology, putting it into the hands of entrepreneurs, independent business owners, and see them create huge new markets. That's what we are doing at A Little Market and Etsy. And now we are doing it uh, for the independent retailers. They are suffering from very outdated tools. The way wholesale is working is very old-fashioned. And so we are bringing them great tools, great products, so that they can be more flexible and they can be more successful in the coming years. So yeah, I think our success, let's say five or 10 years from now, will be measured by the, the success of the independent retailers. We believe we can help create thousands of um, retailer jobs in, in Europe by making it so much easier and so much better to, to manage uh, an independent retail, retailer shop in Europe. And it, and it can be a retailer shop, by the way, online or offline. We are helping both kind of, uh, of retailers. Fantastic. Angstor has been described as the anti-Amazon, as you mentioned, helping independent retailers. And I guess it's online, but also driving people back to the high street, which is in you know desperate need of rejuvenation. Despite all of that wonderful stuff, that is a big and complex market, but it is also a huge opportunity. So, yeah, what was the, I guess, whenever you start a, a journey like this, there's, there's lots of things to consider. But why did you decide now was the time to take it on? And tell us a bit about that early start of the, the journey and how it came to existence. Yes. So that's a good question. Uh, actually, as you know, and we, we are former HC uh, employees. And HC uh, had a project at that time, which was called HC Wholesale. And, and it was kind of the ancestor of uh, Anchor Store. At some point, Etsy decided to focus on, on its core business and to stop its uh, Etsy wholesale initiative. And one of our co-founders at Anchor Store called Pierre-Louis Lacoste, he was uh, in charge of this project, Etsy wholesale uh, in Europe and helping a lot growing it. And um, he was like, keeping on telling us that uh, 
it was actually a, a huge opportunity. He was a wholesaler himself before, so he was seeing really the need uh, for better technology uh, and for help uh, for independent retailers. So we met a few people in the wholesale industry in Europe uh, sharing our ID. And actually, the, the thing that, has, what, what, that was really striking to me is the first few people that we met uh, to um, introduce the ID and get feedback, they actually proposed us to resign from that job and to join us. And we had no, nothing, and it was just like an idea that we were trying to get feedback on. So I thought like, okay, there is really something here. There are some big pains that needs to be solved. And that's, uh, that's what uh, has been really the driver for, for, for this new entrepreneurial journey. And as you've mentioned, this is the second business you started with uh, Nicholas Cohen. And you, you talked just then about uh, working with Pierre-Louis Lacoste at uh, Etsy. So how did you split up your responsibilities in the early days as co-founders? And how has your previous experience of working with Nicholas Cohen and Pierre-Louis, how's that helped you? Because uh, sometimes uh, as a solo founder, you know, I've, had many, I've spoken about this on the podcast before, it can be a lonely existence. So it, it sounds like you've got a bit of a dream team there. So we'd love to learn about how those dynamics work. Yes, so I, I, I have never been a solo founder, so I cannot really know how, how it is. But I'm, I'm sure that uh, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's difficult, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, I have some co-founders. It's really helping to, to, to know that you are uh, together in this journey through the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. So yeah, I, I think this is a very positive aspect. And, and the other thing is that we know each other since many, many years. We know our strengths, we know our weaknesses. So it's, I think, easier. Uh, when when you know each other very well to determine where you should focus on uh, and to split the roles and the responsibilities that, as you were just mentioning it. So for example, Nicola Cohen is focusing more on the, the operations, the product and the technology, uh, and I'm more focusing on the sales, the marketing, and the finance part of the organization. And Pierre-Louis is, is really uh, uh, focusing on the brands, uh, the partnership, the business development uh, side of the, of the business. So they're yeah, quite complementary team. Perfect. You've gone from strength to strength. There's no denying that, you know, from the very early stages of the three of you testing the waters with a few people to a 2 billion valuation, you've got over 500 employees, and it's all within three years. So it really is remarkable and huge kudos and congratulations um, for everything you've achieved. It's never easy though, right? And, and you know this better than anyone having done this twice. What have been the biggest challenges in the first couple of years? And how did you overcome those? So I, I think the first big challenge is always the same, is making sure that you find very strong product market fit. So that's always an advice that I, I give to any entrepreneur. It's like, make sure that you, you are solving big pains with a, a, a great value proposition before scaling. And so I think that was our first big challenge. And, and it took us some time, a few months, before we really found our product market fit and we really took off in terms of uh, of revenues and actually at the time we faced our second uh, i think big big issue with the covid and the first lockdown where we we lost a, a significant part of our business and uh, and i am actually quite proud of how we reacted to this uh, this second issue that we faced this second challenge because um yeah we we I think at that time we, we we didn't know how long it would last, and and we were seeing the the, the revenues dropping, and and we we yeah some some people were advising us to maybe like shut down the company for I don't know six months, seven months, and then reopen it uh, when things will get better. And we actually decided to invest. That's, that's something I learned also uh, in the past. Is like crises are a great moment to invest when everybody is afraid. 
that's where you can also make big differences. And so that's what we decided to do. I think we were five, six employees when we entered the first lockdown and we finished it. We were like around 20. So we hired quite a lot during the lockdown and we, we were one of the only companies to do that. And we focused the whole organization on the brand side of the marketplace because obviously retailers were, were, were not <laughs> very interested in buying stuff for their shops. And these decisions that we made, that was a top decision, actually paid off because when, when stores reopened, as we had focused the whole company on bringing a lot of brands on the platform, retailers, um, they had to buy to reopen their shop. All the trade shows were canceled, so they had to find new ways of working. And we actually had a great uh, product offering when everything reopened. So uh, I think this decision paid off. I love that. And, and the boldness, I guess, the belief in your mission just really shone through at a time when a lot of founders, I think, or a lot of people would have probably been a bit nervous to invest and continue to grow. I think that says a lot about you and your mission. I, yes, yes. And I, I, I really like, I mean, I, I like, I like crisis. I like crisis because that's where you can make big differences when every, everybody has money everywhere and it's more difficult. And, um, yes, that's why, uh, uh, I think it's always good to invest uh, in crisis. If you have, again, if you have strong product market fit, if you have really solving pains for your customers, then it's a good time to invest. Before we continue with today's episode, I was wondering if I could ask you a small favor. We absolutely love sharing our guests' inspiring stories with you. And I can't thank you enough for being one of our loyal listeners. But feedback is so important. So if you have any suggestions on how we can make 40 Minute Mental even better, or you just want to tell us how much you love the show or a particular episode, then we would love to hear from you. So please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash 40mm and leave us a review. We really, really appreciate it. That's ratethispodcast.com forward slash 40mm. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to hear from you. And talking of investing, you, you obviously have grown your team significantly. And I know you're continuing to hire and you've got lots of very exciting roles that we've had the pleasure of working on a, a fair few. So for anyone listening that is loving what they're hearing about Angstor's mission, can you tell them a bit about your unique culture that you've been building? And what is it that you look for personally when you interview top talent? Yes, that's a great question. First, we we are a mission-driven company. So that's the first thing that we test for. We want to make sure that we we are bringing in people who are passionate about our mission. We believe in it and we, we want to help build it. So this is, I mean, the most important aspect we, we look for in any new hiring. And then about our culture, it's a lot about like speed, moving fast, taking risk. We have what we call operating principle. Uh, in the company and they are really driving our execution so we test for these operating con- uh, principles with the candidates and beyond this as far as i am concerned i always like to assess i would say the self-awareness of the candidate and how they are improving themselves because uh, I, I i really like to hire for potential and i i love candidates where i feel like they, they are already good today but they they will get much better because they are very self-aware and they are very driven to improve themselves Right. Yeah. And I think we had, uh, we've had some other founders on the podcast in recent times, and that seems to be one of the most important differentiators between good candidates and great candidates is that level of self-awareness and that, I guess, that 
intellectual curiosity and, and consistent uh, approach to wanting to keep learning and that growth mindset. I think that's, that's so important. You mentioned how in your first startup, you probably made a mistake not bringing in senior talent early enough. And obviously, this is our area of expertise, hiring executives. And you've done a lot over the years. You've, you've brought in some brilliant talent. So what is it you look for, particularly in an, in, in an executive? And I'd love to know, like from the early days of Anchor Stores, the people you brought in, what were kind of the most important things you were after compared to now that you're, you know, a double unicorn with, you know, even even bigger and bolder ambitions? Yeah. So uh, in terms of hiring executives at the, at the beginning, you, I think you maybe we were leaning in more towards uh, some people with a lot of entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, like people not afraid of like building everything by themselves. So I would say one of the key requirements was like to have people with some experience. As I said, we wanted some experienced people from the beginning, but also not afraid of doing things by themselves and and, and really building uh, the arch- architecture of the company. And know that we 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 are much bigger in terms of uh, of size and yeah, both in terms of number of people and also business. What is getting more and more important is the like people management experience, um, uh, uh, building an organization and yeah, leading large teams, I think is, is getting more and more important for us. So hiring skills, uh, managing skills, um, of, of course, are more important as we, as we get bigger. But I still look for the same personal traits that I described just before. And the mission-driven side is, has always been very important um, when in the early days and, and today. Amazing. Thank you. I guess hiring is, as we talked about, a a major thing for for all founders. But another topic that I think has been growing increasingly is like the power of community. And I know that's something we both are are big believers in. Why do you think building and nurturing communities is so important for businesses today? And do you have any advice for any founders or executives listening that are looking to leverage communities more effectively in their businesses? Yeah. So I, I start with the second question. And then I'll come back to the first. So the, the advice I always give when uh, some people ask me, okay, but should I build a community for my business? Okay, but first tell me what do you stand for? I think that's the most important question. What do you stand for? Because if you don't stand for anything really strong, then it does not really make sense to build a community around it. And a community it needs to be built around a belief, a shared belief, which is so strong that people want to spend some time with other people with the same belief. And, and I see many businesses willing to like build a community. I don't know to just for the sake of it or to, to get some free traffic. And, but I think that's not, no, that's not how you should build a community. You should first be very clear on what you stand for and it needs to be very strong. And once you have it, then yes, build your community. And coming back to your first question, why is it so important? I think if you stand for something that you really truly believe in and, and, uh, and I truly believe in our mission. I truly believe it's very important. And I truly believe that if Anchor Store is successful, the, the, the society will be better. So if you believe really in this, then building a community around it is very important because it will get, it will give you a lot of leverage. You will be able to have much more impact than uh, if you are alone. So that's why, uh, to me, building a community is, is so important. If you have a, a strong mission, you believe in it, then in order to have a lot of impact, uh, you, you, you'd be better if you have a community around it. Totally agree. And I think so much of that is about the authenticity, isn't it? It's so when you have that shared belief and you want to bring people together around that, it's, it is very authentic. And I think people can see through it when it's not. So, you know, it's just about, as you said, the shared belief. Exactly. If you, if you are just 
willing to build a community to, I don't know, get some free traffic on your, on, on your website. I mean, people will, will, will feel it. They need to feel the authenticity and that the, the mission is really strong. Absolutely. You have talked a bit about the, the big mission for, for Store, and I, I personally can't wait to see where the business goes over the years ahead. But in terms of the wider retail industry, how do you see it changing? And I'm sure there are people listening to this with big ambitions too that might be much earlier on in the journey. But what are your advice for anyone that's kind of uh, sort of keen to take on, you know, those big retailers, the Amazons of this world? What, what advice would you have for them? answer your first, the first side of your question. So how do we see re retail evolving? As far as I'm concerned, I believe retail will polarize around two segments. The first one is really about the big box retails as that's a world of like Tesco, Amazon, Walmart, all these big companies. And that's where you go when you want a, a low price and huge selection. And that's one segment of retail. And there is another segment of retail to me, which is about like the experience, the, the finding great products, And in this segment of retail, that's where you have all the independent players. And that's where companies like Etsy are playing Shopify, it's playing in this segment of retail. And I think everything in the middle will struggle. So the first advice I, I would give to any entrepreneur is to either focus on one of these two segments of retail, because I think, again, everything in the middle will, will, will struggle. And uh, yeah, then after, after that, the main advice I would give is... Uh, really spend some time with them, try to understand their pain and try to solve them with a much better solution than what they use today. And they have a lot of pains because they are, they are very poorly served today and they have very little technology. So they have a lot of needs. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you. We're going to come on just before we get to our, our wrap-up questions. I just want to talk a bit about one of the other topics that comes up a lot when we're asked to cover on the podcast and that's fundraising. Uh, you're probably not going to be surprised to hear that you've obviously raised from some of the best VCs in the world like tiger global management index ventures who actually i think introduced us originally so what's been your secret to your success of raising so much capital so quickly and what advice would you have for other founders listening to this that might be you know about to raise or currently going through the fundraising process do you have any particular tips or or learnings that you can share with them Yes, of course, with pleasure. To me, I think the reason why we, we, we raised so much capital so quickly is because we are addressing a big problem. So that's, that would be my first advice, like make sure you are addressing a big problem and we are addressing it with a much better solution than what is existing today. And so I think that's a second very important thing to have in mind. If you don't feel like you have a strong, very strong product market fit, or if you don't feel like you are you are solving very, very big problems for your customers, maybe you should not fundraise. You should first focus on, on finding this strong product market fit. And, but then if you are addressing a big issue with a strong product market fit, and if you are building a, a, a very good team around it, I think you are very well positioned uh, to fundraise and that's where you should go for it. And uh, yeah, my, my advice here would be uh, uh, if you have these three, these three dimensions to... Uh, spend some time with uh, the VCs that you, you know about or you heard about and try to work with the best ones. And also the same thing and do your due diligence on, like for hiring. Uh, you will spend a lot of time with uh, your investors. Uh, so yeah, do your due diligence, talk to other entrepreneurs, learn about the VCs and, and pick the, the best ones because they can, uh, great VCs can make a big difference. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Nico. And, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of aspiring founders or current founders that will, will take on board that advice and really appreciate you sharing it. 
You're also an experienced angel investor yourself. And we've seen increasing numbers of operators and founders in our network sort of starting to angel invest. I think in broader society as a whole, there's much more sort of education and access to start investing, which we, we think is a really good thing for the wider ecosystem. So why did you become an angel in the first place? And what advice would you have for anyone that's listening to this that wants to pitch to you for their startup? What, what is it you're looking for yourself? Well, so why did I start? I think for two main reasons. The first one is to give back. I was, for my first company, uh, we could never have done anything without uh, our first business angels. And they were very successful entrepreneurs having created a company called Webel, which is a very big uh, call center company. And, and without them, we, uh, a little market would not have existed. So they really changed, uh, I would say, the course of my life huh, thanks to their backing. So I wanted to give back. Uh, that's the first main reason. And the second reason, I think, is the, was to learn. You learn a lot from entrepreneurs. Uh, you see them tackling very big issues and being very passionate. And, and so, uh, yeah, I actually learned a lot from the angel investment I have made. So these are the two main reasons. And, and the financial uh, reason was really not the main driver. Uh, it ended up being quite a profitable activity, but uh, it was not the main reason. Unfortunately, today, I, I, I don't have much time to angel invest. So I, I hardly do any, uh, any investment uh, at the moment. But uh, coming back to your second question, what I am looking for when some people are reaching out for a potential investment, the, the, I am looking for two things. Is I'm trying to see and understand what secrets the founders have found. What, what is a unique thing that they have discovered that they were very well positioned to discover? And, and that's, that's the, the main question that I'm trying to figure out. So, where did the idea come, come from? Why did they find it? Are, are they uniquely positioned to have uh, uh, find this idea? I think it's, uh, to me, it's very important. And then the second thing that I am looking for is uh, the strength of the team and are, are they mission driven? Do they believe in, in their mission? And yeah, that's the two main things. Super helpful. Thank you. Before we just get to our final questions, um, I just want to ask you, you, you are a, an exited founder, a unicorn founder. You've had a huge success and you're still you know clearly so driven and there's still so much you want to achieve how do you find a balance nico in terms of you have a family you have some angel investments you, you have the company and it's very intense you know you have big investors with big expectations there's a lot of pressure so how do you handle that pressure because in- increasingly you know we see founder burnout we see mental health challenges you know we know it's an intense world so i'd love just your thoughts on how you manage that and, and how you protect yourself from, from those things? Yeah, great questions. And, and, and yeah, may, very few people are talking about it. And, uh, but I think it's, it's great to do it because indeed being, being an entrepreneur is difficult. Huh? You see all the headlines and it looks great, but uh, it's, it's, it's not always easy. And so how do I manage um, the pressure? And the, I think first I have a family, as you said, and, and, and this is helping to when I, I go back home, uh, uh, and I see my kids and I spend some time with them and uh, you, you, you forget uh, like all, all the issues that you might uh, have faced in, in the day. So I, I think it's helping a lot. And the second thing uh, is that I am very obsessed with uh, productivity. Um, so I, I, I think I have uh, found over the years a way to, to, to really improve myself in terms of productivity. And, and that's also because I have a family. So I, I want to spend some time with them and, and I have understood quite quickly that uh, if I want to deliver more, 
So uh, if you think about it, you, you have two ways to deliver more. Either you, 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 you work like uh, much more or you are much more productive. But if you think only in terms of number of hours, let's say I, I work 50 hours per day. So yeah, maybe I could potentially uh, be uh, like, like deliver 30% more, but it would mean that I would work like 70, 80 hours a week. And that would be, yeah, that, that would be, I think, very difficult and maybe not that productive. And on the other side, if I work on the productivity, then I can, it's, I cannot improve by maybe 10 times rather than just 30%. You know, the number of hours that you have per day are limited, but the productivity improvement are unlimited. And so that I, I focus a lot on it. And I think this is helping me to have a balanced life. And when you say you've worked on your productivity, is that specifically just being much more focused on priorities and sort of not getting distracted by all the additional things? As you, or, or is there something else that we can learn from that? So uh, it's a very wide topic, productivity. It's, uh, um, it's starting by a lot of self-awareness. So how are you productive? What do you need to be productive? Uh, so for example, like how many hours of sleep do you need? Uh, so, it's, yeah, so for example, sleep, I think, is very important uh, if you want to be productive. And then, indeed, it's about how you manage your time, where you spend your time, being very focused on what I was saying at the beginning. In my first company, I was trying to do everything, optimize everything, and spending a lot of time on small issues. And yes, you improve them, and, and, and that's great. You make small improvements, but um, actually, you, you have much more impact if you focus on very big issues and you try to solve them. So indeed, yeah, the, uh, managing your calendar, where do you work? On which topics do you work? Who are you spending spending some time with? Is extremely impactful. Amazing. Thank you very much. Again, it's just a really interesting uh, topic that maybe people don't talk about enough. And I, I think that would be very helpful. We're sadly at, at the end here with our wrap-up questions. So um, in one sentence, what do you think the future holds for Angerstall? So I think the for us, as, as I said, our success will be measured by the success of the independent retailer. So what I what I hope is that in like if we do a podcast three or four years from now, there will be some headlines in the press talking about the thriving uh, ecosystem of independent retailers, and so that's that the the future we are aiming at. That's our goal, like unlocking a, lo- a wave of entrepreneurship in the retail business and helping retailers owning a shop today to be much much more efficient and much more successful. Fantastic, and at the end of the. Uh, you know your career what do you want to be remembered for so i uh, as i said i have kids and i think i'd like my kids to be proud of uh, the impact uh, i had on society amazing love that answer and if you could be mentored by one person dead or alive who would that be and why so we we, we are former uh, hc employees and we actually uh, spend quite a lot of time with uh, josh silverman the, the ceo of etsy and he's really someone I admire a lot and I learn a lot from him. So I'm, yeah, I think he, he would be my dream mentor and I'm lucky to spend some time with him and to learn a lot from, from him. That's fantastic. And finally, Nico, what's your final piece of advice? Uh, that could be career advice, life advice, but what do you want to leave our listeners with? One of my mantra is that life is short. You need to take risk, have an impact, and make sure that you, you you live your own life, you achieve your own dreams rather than some other people's dreams. So yeah, be yourself, take some risks, Like life is short, so go for it. Fantastic advice. It's been a real pleasure to, to chat and hear 
all about your your brilliant career and uh yeah uh nico thank you for for taking the time to be a 40 minute mentor uh, i wish you the very very best of luck for the rest of 2022 and beyond we will be very much uh championing angstor and uh, looking forward to continuing jbm's great partnership with you thank you james it was a real pleasure and i learned a lot from your questions so really appreciated it great stuff thank you thank you nico What an incredible scale-up journey and what an accomplished and down-to-earth leader Nico is. I hope you'll agree that this episode was packed full of great insights and advice, but I especially appreciated his candor when sharing the lessons he learned from scaling and exiting a little market and how he's used those learnings to good effect at Anchor Store. I have been a huge fan of Anchor Stores ever since we started working with them and Nico is easily one of the most impressive founders I've had the pleasure of working with. He's built an amazing team that are all aligned by a great mission, and I have no doubt that they will continue to be a magnet for the best talent in Europe for years to come. What was your favorite part of the episode? Please feel free to email me at james at jbmc.co.uk with your thoughts or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. We really appreciate your support. Before we end today's episode, I also wanted to give a huge shout out to our series sponsors, Chipper Cash. Chippercash are an African cross-border payments company trusted by over 4 million users. If you want to be part of their mission to unlock global opportunities and bring Africa together one transaction at a time, then head over to chippercash.com forward slash careers to find out more. And do make sure you check out our episode with Chipper's founder, Ham Serenjoji too. Like Nika, he is also an inspiring and down-to-earth leader who's also created a double unicorn. We'll leave the link in the show notes. That's everything for me this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope to see you again next week for mentorship from another founder of one of the UK's most recognizable brands who also spent time as a dragon in a certain den. Any ideas who it might be? Tune in next week to find out more.